I'm glad it's I'm real glad it's Friday. We had a yeah. uh, yesterday felt really weird. We had a meeting with our architect that went for four hours, just going through every single detail, outlets and flooring. And do you want the door to open to the left or to the right? Are the external doors, do they open swinging out, swinging in and all those things? And it was like exhausting, but glad that. Finally, is getting done, so maybe we'll eventually be able to move into a house. In, I'm gonna say in a year. I bet you will take a full year to go build that. Not excited about how long it will take. It's exciting though. Should be there for the long haul. Yeah, yeah, it'll be a good investment, I think. But it is a bit exhausting. It feels like one of those where, like, we talked to the builder and he was. Yeah, you should be able to get a floor plan and everything done in two months. And it's been like seven months. So it feels like, you know, when you're, yeah, I could build that in a week. And then seven months later. <laughs> I got a bill in the mail today from the city for $160 for a false alarm. Uh, <laughs> the first one's supposed to be free, but apparently I have to have a permit to have an alarm and I didn't have one. So not only do I have to pay the fee, but I have another $30 fine for not having <laughs> uh, my alarm registered at the city. That happened to me at my old house. We were on vacation, I think. And the alarm company calls the police to come out or whatever. And there was nothing at home. And I think it was my cat had jumped up on the kitchen table and tripped the like motion sensor when we were gone. Yeah, it was like six something in the morning, I think. So we were like asleep. They called my phone. My phone's on vibrate. I didn't hear it. And then they call the cops and send them out. And you know, like, there's nothing. They don't see anything. So I think we got that one free. But when I leave, I like specifically leave the motion sensor off because of that nonsense. But they were like, yeah, maybe if you had a big dog, it, it would go off. But like, sure enough, little cat set it off. So I don't know. <laughs> we have audio like glass break sensors mm -hmm. and I put four of them in this house. We moved in in August and like the only way to test it is like glass breaking or have kids. And here I can tell you on the incident report on January 27th at three 43 in the morning, my kids came downstairs cause they like woke up and they wanted to come in our room, but we like, we lock our door and so they started screaming, which set off the glass break sensor. And when I went to like turn it off, instead of hitting like cancel alarm, I hit verify. And so then <laughs> the alarm company called me. I was like, no, I, I meant to hit cancel. Please don't send the cops. And they're like, too late. And so the cops got there and were like beating on the door. I told my kids the cops came because they wouldn't stay in bed. <laughs> Amazing. I love it. Yeah. Uh, Jokes wow. on me. So that's a great way to wake up in the middle of the night. Yeah, I couldn't go back to bed. It was like <laughs> by four o'clock in the morning, I was like, should I just get up and work? This week, I worked on a feature for like two or three days and I was just like reviewing it, about to push it up. And 
then I, I paired with someone else and then I restarted my computer and I have it set. So like my computer like auto cleans out my recycling bin on restarts. And somehow something happened. I don't know what I still to this day don't really understand what happened. I logged back in after restarting my computer and all my repos were gone and I hadn't pushed it up yet and everything was gone. And oh, dude, it was the worst day. Oh no. Because not only did I lose all of the work, I also lost all the data in the database and elastic indices. And it was just a nightmare. Oh, that is painful. So have you recovered from that yet? I have recovered. I was just going to like restore from a backup to just get everything back quickly. And my backup hard drive was corrupted. So this is like the whole GitLab situation. (laughs) It was a a day. I have recovered and now I still don't really understand what happened, but I have an app that I haven't used before, but I turned it on and what it will do is you can specifically back up certain folders. So now every morning it will back up my repos folder to a location I'll swear on my hard drive, just in case. It was a rough week. Oh, yeah. I was getting ready to say like, oh, did you have a backup? That happened to me one time, but I had a time machine backup. I didn't push to GitHub for like three weeks. And so I was like, hey, please don't fire me. This wasn't my old job. And she was like, don't you have a time machine backup? And I was like, ha ha, I do. But I haven't patched up my computer in years, so... I would be effed too. I learned my lesson. The lesson is at the end of the day, push what you have. Yeah. Work in progress. (laughs) Jeez. Yeah. That is not fun when that happens. It doesn't happen very often, which is good. When it does, that is the worst. So anything um, more enjoyable that happened this week? (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to remote therapy. <laughs> I'm sure something good happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably, right? Yeah. It's just it's just hard to think of. I I got um, my testing videos done for my course and that pushed me to finish, well not finish, but do some more work on the stimulus reflex testing library. Hmm, so, yeah, yeah. Stimulus reflex doesn't have any kind of built-in test support. And we have bukus of tests at Podia. So I like wrote a gym, I don't know, six months ago that is only works for RSpec right now, but would basically stub out a reflex for you because there's lots of things that happen in a reflex. There's a action cable connection. There's a URL, there's params, there's all kinds of stuff. And so I built it and left it alone, but I wanted my course to be easier for me to make. So I went and added some matchers. So like now you can expect that when you run a reflex, it will morph something. So like the new morph modes that were introduced into reflex, like you can morph a selector and change the value. So there's a matcher for that. You can be like, I expect this to morph this selector and then you can chain on a width and test that it does that. And then I did some cable ready broadcast matchers and they only work inside reflex, but I don't know. I thought it was a cool addition and it made it easier for me to 
show people how to test stimulus reflex, at least unit test it. So that was good. That's sweet. I love those situations where you can kill two birds with one stone. You could have totally written the course and done either skip those things or built your own matchers that you just threw in your like test helper files, but putting it in the gem makes perfect sense. And now it's useful for everybody, even if they don't follow your course, but they should, of course. Yeah. I wish that more people use the library selfishly so I could get more stuff. Like I'd really like to get mini test support in it. Yeah. I was going to ask about that. I would assume the logic of the matchers could be extracted into methods and then you just define your mini test wrapper and your RSpec wrapper, which is just making the DSL for it or whatever. Yeah, totally. And I tried to write it in such a way that like the kind of like fake objects I'm creating for like cable ready and stuff are for stimulus reflex to are things that you can just include into your testing libraries. So like RSpec, when you load the RSpec file in this library, it like goes and brings in all that stuff. So like I tried to set it up so that main test support would be easy, but I don't have any side projects. Well, I don't really have any side projects period now, but I don't have any using stimulus reflex and that's where I would use mini tests. So I haven't been like, I don't have a fire in my butt like the other stuff. I was going to ask if you, either of you guys know of a library that has test helpers for both frameworks, because that could be a good, like if someone wants to contribute, you could basically go take an example from another library and say, here, look, uh, this is how they did it. We can take that approach and add it to your stimulus reflex testing library. The action cable testing library that was merged into Rails core and RSpec core, it was a library that would work for both. So I actually, a lot of the techniques I used were like, literally going through the source code of that testing framework and figuring out how they put it in both. So that's a really good example. And it's still, you can still see the source code for it. Nice. I think I asked you a long time ago, if there was any intentions to merge that into reflex. I don't know. I haven't really talked with anyone there about it. For us, it was kind of like, we need to get this going quickly. And so. Yeah. yeah, yeah like you need it regardless. It's just, a matter of whether or not they want to maintain it. Yeah, I'd be super cool to have that discussion, but it's not one I've pushed. I don't really want to push my testing framework into their library, but they do link to it from the docs and stuff. So that's cool. Like, I appreciate that. Yeah, it seems like it would make perfect sense to have it built in. That's a fairly complicated thing to test in general. Having official support for it seems like a a wise thing to add, but... Yeah, maybe that'll happen eventually or whatever. So it basically just comes down to if someone's motivated, then it will happen. (laughs) Yeah, I would like to get into like system testing, that kind of stuff. I feel like that's the real sweet spot of a reflex is even probably with Hotwire, I assume, is I could just be like, I want to test this interactivity like from a browser because my stimulus reflex tests are just unit test and they have some value, right? Like I can assert that when I run a reflex, it changes the things I want it to change, like in the database. But from a UI perspective, it's nice that I can say, oh, I expect this to morph, but it would be hella nice to actually have a test that says, oh, when a user performed this action, the DOM actually did what it was supposed to. But I haven't gotten into that kind of stuff yet. 
Yeah, which is way more complex anyways. And there's multiple layers to it. And you know, like stimulus reflexes, you can have it do nothing, just update something in the database or whatever, but you can also have it render the whole page or part of it. And it can be several different tiers of tests that you would want to write or whatever. And it's a complicated beast. But that's cool that I got that done. So my testing videos are done and I, I'm in like a weird spot because I view the course as complete, but the app's still a little bit incomplete. So I'm thinking about just making a video that's okay. Let's polish the app up. Here is making the login system not look like trash. Let's actually make sure you can create accounts because my whole video, I just do database seeding. I mean, like we update the seeds as we go so that we never have to create 50 accounts, stuff like that. So I thought about doing some stuff like that, just the basic like login, log out stuff. So you're not left with a fully incomplete app. The idea behind the course though is to focus more on the stimulus reflex part. I was kind of under the assumption that you've worked with Devise, how to like build Rails apps. So I don't necessarily feel like we need to walk through like, let's get teams fully functional. Like we introduce teams just to know how to like scope reflexes to teams, stuff like that. But yeah, it's a weird spot. I'm trying to land that plane. Yeah, that's the struggle in every screencast I've ever made. It's like, how much do we assume that you already know? And if anybody's working with stimulus reflex in general, I think it's totally fair to understand that, to assume that they understand devise or authorization and the basics of teams and stuff. But yeah, you do still want to wrap it up nicely, I feel like. Even if you're like, well, you assume you know how to do this or that, you still want to put some polish on it. I probably won't do a thing where you like add people to teams and change teams, things like that, but right. at least make it so you can create an account, give it a team name and it creates the team and the user for you and put a logo in it and show you the team. But my OCD would want it in somewhat of a complete state. Yep. So I'm going to do that That's and good. a video on deploying to Heroku, I think, since we're dealing with action cables, stuff like that. Yeah. 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 No, I'm excited. So you think you'll have it launched by Monday? Yeah. So basically if it's just those two videos left, like I've been branching the source code the whole time for each video. So it should be me just pushing all those branches up to GitHub and linking each video to a branch. So nice. Nice. Yeah. I like that. I tried to do that with my beginner course, but it just didn't. I was like, there's so much to build and it was just, it became an afterthought of like, yeah, we can spend 20 videos building authentication and right. reset your password and have commits and branches or whatever for each of those. But yeah, I was like, I got to just record the content at a certain point. So being able to keep up with the Git stuff is really good. It'll be nice to have in the course. Yeah, I recorded each video and as it was exporting, I would record it, go ahead and slice it up, export it. While I was exporting, I'd go commit it to main and then check out a branch mm. and then put it mm -hmm. back. So it's not like the most elaborate thing. Like some of the commits are like test this thing, but it's better than not having it. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see if anybody uses it. Yeah. It's nice to be able to reference a point in time pretty easily. And you can still do that with commits, but it's just a little bit more organized with your branches. Speaking of courses, the OmniOff 2.0 stuff is out. And of course, I record the beginner series like just before OAuth breaks. 
because the, <laughs> the now it requires a post request instead of a get and like that CSRF protection gem that they added, which is like a use a post request because basically it's the same concern with CSRF in general is you don't want someone to write a script tag on Facebook to connect your GitHub to some service without right. your permission or whatever. And they added that gem, but then it seems like some, I don't really know what happened, but I feel like they basically got new maintainers for OmniAuth and they're doing some really active work on it, which is great. So version two came out, Devise is like on its way to getting updated for the OmniAuth thing and the responders change got merged. So my like example nonsense of making it Hotwire and Turbo compatible is going to be just built in out of the box, which mm -hmm. is going to be chef's kiss. Can't wait just to not have to do all that configuration. So yeah, that'll be good. But I hate having to go back and re-record something in the dead middle of a course and just be like, Hey, this is me from the future. Things are broken. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> amazing. That's the problem with building an app in a course is it's so sequential. There were several times I'd get like six videos deep and be like, I fundamentally missed this thing. And I don't want to be like, oh, here's a video correcting our mistakes. So I, I'd record them all. But then I'm still like, reflex is going to change. And if I'm going to update this course, I'm going to have to, like you said, go from the future. But then all the rest of the videos will be the code might be different. I don't know. It It's so hard because yeah, in general, I, I would say I probably record probably four times. Sometimes the weekly videos, I'll go build it once or twice and just like memorize the steps I take and then I'll record it and totally miss something or whatever. And then I got to go back and redo the whole thing. Cause I'm like, yeah, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> or like, as I'm recording, I think of a better way of doing it. And I'm mm -hmm. like, it turns out my practice version was messy. So I'm going to, going to fix that. Like I've been redoing the nested comments in Hotwire. So you can have like real time nested comments. But then of course I made some decision that was slightly different than the um, nested comments series that I did previously. So then three quarters of the way through, I'm like, uh Oh, I need to figure out how I'm going to solve this. Cause it's different than I planned. And I'm like, do I want to re-record three quarters of this like series just to make that smoother? Because I generate the models at the beginning and then they're like, actually, we should have done a different thing like later on. And then if do you want to keep that mistake in or do we not? Do it doesn't matter? Or is it just super distracting for anybody who's trying to follow along? Recording videos is just a pain in the butt. That is the general answer. I feel like it's hard. I was sitting on the couch the other night. I was like, I got to go record. But then I came in here and I had to warm up. And so I like did a couple of videos. But the problem is I'll do really well. And in my head, I'm like keeping count of like, okay, I can go back and fix that. I can go back and fix that. Just keep going. But then I get to a point where I'm like, that's going to be too much work to go back and edit this whole thing. And so I'll start over. But every time I do that, I don't get as far as I did the first time. And it subsequently gets shorter and shorter to where like I sit down and I'm like, in this video, ugh, damn it. And like, <laughs> I'm just stopping it immediately. Yeah. yeah, It's unlike anything I've done before. It is not easy to do well. You can definitely hack your way through it and you can make a video, but it, it, it is really hard to do it concisely. 
And I remember Ryan Bates had said somewhere that it took him 40 hours to do his one video a week. And I was like, Oh my gosh. So crazy. Or <laughs> no, I totally like, understand. let me do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm like, why did I decide to do this again? <laughs> the thing is, if you were teaching stuff that you were doing at work and you just like, Oh, we did this cool thing and I'm going to turn that into a video. You can just sit down and do that in an hour because you like know it so deeply. But building these comments, I'm like, well, I haven't really, like, I'm just doing it for the videos, the series. I probably will use that in an app somewhere. And actually, I probably put it in the 12 and 12 app. But yeah, just building it for an example is like a totally different experience than you've gone through on a production thing at work or some side project you're doing. Then you know it's so in depth that you can just like teach it no problem. It's funny how that works, like how well you know it makes it so much easier to just talk about. So two things I wanted to ask you about. Uh, You resurrected, saved, and released Mad Men. I thought it was never going to happen. Good Lord. Some of it's been so much fun. The stuff we were doing way back in the beginning of here's all this meta programming that we can do, like sitting in a hotel room and Rails Comp Friday. Yeah. Meta programming. Yeah. Yeah. That was a blast. And like most of the core, I think, is the same as it was then. The thing that really stalled me was like you get that working, you get the views rendering, and you get the sidebar like eager loading all your models so you can display them all. That's cool. Until you get to the old dreaded JavaScript and CSS and dun dun dun. Yeah, I, I, had, say, I wish we had sound effects. <laughs> I had no no solution for it that I was happy with. It was like administrate has the asset pipeline stuff and you just go edit the manifest.js to require their files and and that works okay but then people are using webpacker and if we want to use tailwind and stimulus and whatever your app may not have those installed so then we're going to have to install it and decide if it's in the asset pipeline or in webpacker and tailwind's got all its configs and nonsense and especially webpacker is not great with engines and even the asset pipeline i don't feel like is great with engines for assets So I was at a standstill that whole time, I feel like. Just nothing was good. And then the ESM stuff and Skypack was like, oh, wait, what if we just had a partial that had an ESM module that pulled everything from Skypack? And when you link out of your app to the admin, if you're using TurboLinks or whatever it is, just do data turbo is false. And that way you can use Bootstrap in your main app. But when you click the link to go to the admin, we can switch to Tailwind and it's not going to like bleed those styles together and do all kinds of weird stuff. And then we can have our independent JavaScript as well. So it uses, it actually, it's cool. It pulls in stimulus and turbo and sets those up and then grabs styles and stimulus flat picker and slim select from Skypack. And it just does that in an ESM module. So there's no JavaScript file you're like loading or referencing. We just render that partial and it sets everything up there. 
when we link back to your app, we just say a data turbo is false for that. So that if we go back and we've already got tailwind loaded, we don't have to worry about it conflicting with bootstrap on the, in the other direction. And it made it pretty easy. And then the only hard part left was like, what do we do with the rails versions? And then like Andrew was telling us last week, you can, or the SNCC or what was it? The, that company that had the like gem and yeah. So I looked at that and it was pretty much like, yeah, the dot beta or dot RC one stuff is just like hyphen RC one. And so I just wrote a little helper and didn't use that library, but the same concept is like, use the major, the minor and the patch version, and then just do a hyphen instead of whatever for the, the pre-release version. And then I can pull in whatever rails version is in your gem file. Just use that. And then pull in from Skypack the like at rails, UJS or action text or whatever, and specify that version. And voila, I get all the functionality that you would normally get in the admin without ever configuring the asset pipeline or webpacker and it works. It's pretty cool. So it feels really nice to have it that independent. So I'm pleased with that. We may build our own node module or something for if, if we ever need custom JavaScript, but we could also throw it in that file if it wasn't too giant, but we could build a node module and use Skypack to pull it in. And version it that way. We could do the same version thing as like whatever the Madman version is, go grab that version from NPM and Skypack. So yeah, turned out good. Yeah, still a bunch of probably bugs here and there and tons of docs that are needed. But for the most part, it's all that the hard part was all that. And it it turned out, I think, pretty good. But it needs to be run in people's apps before I can know for sure if it was a good solution or not. But so far... I think it it hasn't been a problem. It's cool. I need to try it out. If you've been listening to the show for a bit, then you know that Jason and Chris have a crush on Laravel, and I basically battle JavaScript for fun. Regardless of what end of the stack and what language, they all have one thing in common, and that's Honey Badger. Stop wasting time configuring your tools and focus on shipping, knowing that no matter where you are, Honey Badger has your back. Oh, and speaking of shipping... The Honey Badger blog has been on fire recently. Seriously, and I don't say this lightly. Some of the best technical writing you're going to find all in one place. So go check that out. And while you're there, sign up for Honey Badger. Let them know he sent you. Thank you so much to Honey Badger for continuing to sponsor Remote Ruby and for not killing me for all the JavaScript errors I sent you this weekend. You just released it in the beta today, right? Last night. Okay. And then you have to be a little careful because the instructions say bundle add madmin but that won't add a beta release so you got to do oh, like right. bundle add dash dash pre or whatever or just specify the version so yeah i have to make sure it's on the beta but cool yeah let yeah. me throw it in just one of my apps that still exists somewhere and test it out yeah, it's cool because basically all the features of administrate that were like missing made work so nested models if you have action text or action mailbox or any of those, it'll automatically grab all those. No problem. So it'll be able to pull out the active storage blobs and you can just poke around those if you want to see them. You can skip it if you don't want. But Administrate, I think, never really supported nested models, which was strange. Didn't support action text out of the box and maybe even active storage. I don't remember. 
So a- active storage and nested models really was the reason I couldn't use a ministry because yeah. I nest models like I've got pounds on my body. It's good. I use it too. One of my favorites is I added processes to apps and Hatchbox and obviously can't generate a model named process because that's already taken. So app processes, namespace it, and it's Mm -hmm. perfect. And it's so easy to use because like even active record associations, like an app has many processes. You don't even have to say has many app processes. It like knows how to handle that, which is slick. So yeah, the nested stuff. I tried to merge in a PR for virtual attributes and then they like, that had been sitting there for six months maybe. And then they merged in something else that directly like says no virtual attributes and conflicts with all that. And I was like, what? So I remember your virtual attributes PR. Yeah. That was, that was one of the things we talked about when we started building Mad Men was yeah. like, yeah. Cause yeah. I was frustrated with that. And I was like, I'm going to just fork and maintain my own version that has support for these things because I need that. So yeah, it didn't seem like their direction they wanted to go was to make it like fully support all the Rails stuff out of the box. And I was like, okay, we'll go build our own then. It just took for two years. (laughs) The other thing, I saw the 12 and 12 release this week. You want to share a little more about what that is? The intention was to build it before the beginning of the year and launch it to inspire people in January. But yeah, Mackenzie Child, do you remember his 12 and 12 challenge to teach himself rails? I did a lot of those in college. Yeah. And Peter Levels did a 12 and 12 to find like a startup idea and stuff. And so my friend John Hainstock and I have been just fiddling with things. And so we thought, oh, it'd be cool to just grab 12and12.io and then make a place for you to like document what you're working on and the progress and stuff. And so that's what we did. We threw that together and and I've been trying to like just keep notes of like, this is what I did on Mad Men release last night and just keep a, a history or a log of things. And maybe other people will get inspired to go build stuff and try new things. And a lot of times it takes 10 attempts you may not get to 12 and that's a good thing. Like you want to find something that sticks. And and if you have to go 12 attempts before you figure out something that like people use, then that's fine. But it's more the idea behind it is just try stuff and see what happens and share it with people. Yeah. That's been, it's been a fun little project. It's just a jumpstart pro app that we added like posts and that's about it. It was actually just very (laughs) very much one scaffold. (laughs) That's cool. It's exciting. I uh, I saw that. I don't have a thing to add to it, but I'm excited to keep track of other people using it. Yeah, you can throw your testing library on there or something. <laughs> had lunch today. I'm just going to turn it into a microblogging platform for myself. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> just don't just don't report me. <laughs> Andrew, you've been awfully quiet. You got anything cool you want to chat about? I've just been listening, honestly. Yeah, I guess I think we talked a little bit about this pre-show, but I have been going through and cleaning up projects and tying up loose ends. And I want to hear what you guys think about this because there is like a trade-off, I guess, to a degree. I have 200 something repos on GitHub and it is, it's too much. And I know, Jason, you'll probably understand this. Like when you have ADHD, 
and you go and you're like, okay, I want to do this thing. I just want to update this library. And then you go in and you're like, oh my God, I have 260 projects on GitHub. And you're like, I better start cleaning that up. And they're like, in order to clean that up, I need to do this. And then before I do that, I got to, and then you just go watch TV. And so I've been trying to figure out what are the things that are blocking me from being productive? Like when I'm like, okay, I want to, I want to do this real quick or this, yeah, whatever, write a blog post, update a project, what's holding me back. And one of the big things is my GitHub is just a mess. It like bothers my brain and I want to get rid of it. So what I've decided that I want to do is number one, I I made a gem a while back that I'm pulling out of retirement called Dishwasher, which was like a little CLI to clean up your GitHub forks. And so I'm going to use that to just remove all my forked GitHub repos. And then I want to take all the projects that like are, are not active, but just hanging around on my GitHub and I want to archive them. And then I'm going to move them all to another organization that I named Andrew M. Codes-Archive. And so all of my archive projects can live on and I can have them for like code reference. Because one thing I was thinking about was like, okay, I'll just delete them, just get rid of them. But then there's some of them that have code in them that I may want to reference later. And I was like, all right, then I need to put it all in my code snippet app or I need to like blah, 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 keep creating like artificial like blocks to like getting things done. So I think I'm just going to move them all into a separate organization. The only problem with that is that some of them are linked in different places. There are a few that I will like basically park on my GitHub. And this was referenced on a Circle CI blog post that I did. Yeah, I don't want to break those links. So I'm going to save some of them. But the ones that I link to in my own blog post, I can quickly grep through and swap out the GitHub links. And I just want to know if you guys have any thoughts about that specific Does, approach and also about just cleaning up GitHub in general, or if you should. I was going to ask, if you transfer a repo to an org, don't they keep a redirect for that? I think. Do, yeah. Yeah. So even you should be. You, even if you make a new repo with that name? If you transfer the repo, but if you like made a new repo, then I don't think it would. But it's actually if you like move the repo. So you'd have to right. be careful well, with that. So that's because it works like the friendly ID history stuff where it's got a slug record in the database somewhere and then it knows. Maybe it is friendly ID. It could be. It totally could be. Yeah. So yeah, you could be fine with that. I was going to ask if your intention is that your repos on your personal account or those are the, is the goal to have those kind of your active ones that you're like actually going to maintain? Yes, because there are projects that I actively maintain. My GitHub notifications, before I deleted every single one of them yesterday, it's just, I can't keep up. It's a disaster. Like I've got work and then I've got just way too much. So one thing I did, I found a tool online that will unwatch every repo on GitHub that you're watching. And I ran it. I'm like, I'm, yeah, it's fine. I changed like my status on GitHub. And I was like, if you want me, you need to like actually at me. So, and I'm perfectly fine with that because that way my notifications are now like what I care about. And yes, the purpose is that I only want the projects that I'm actively maintaining and working on to be on my GitHub so that when I'm going through, like it's overwhelming right now. And because it's overwhelming, I don't maintain any of them basically. And I don't see anything that comes through. And when I'm like, oh, this repo I have, it's out of date and I want to update it. It's just, 
I can't do it. My brain's like self-destructs. It's just too much. Yeah, it makes sense. I don't have 356 repos on my GitHub profile or anything. And (laughs) yeah, there's a ton of notifications that you end up getting from your own repos that just happen to get people randomly following things. Or yeah, you start to watch Rails or some repo like that. The Hotwire stuff comes out and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to subscribe to this issue. And I want to know whenever this gets merged or whatever. And then it's okay. I don't even remember subscribing to this anymore. And yeah, it is very easy to make a giant mess out of your, your GitHub repos and your notifications and everything. So seems like something that I should probably do as well. Cause it's just hard to manage eventually. I'm lucky cause mine are just me and myself for the most part on go rails and hatchbox and stuff. The open source stuff gets a ton of issues and questions and discussions even adds more notifications and it's a nightmare at some point. It's just, how do you manage all that? So I think this is a good direction to go. I kind of like the idea of making a a separate org that just has all the archived repos because I've thought about I should go through and just archive a bunch of old stuff, but just so that people know that I'm not going to work on it and that there were just repos I created as experiments to teach myself something. And I, I learned it and I'm never going to come back to it. Right. So that would be cool. I think that's an interesting thing. I wonder how much time it will take to do all that though. I found a tool that would help it, but it's written in Python and I can't freaking Python 2 in the Python 3 debacle. <laughs> Why? So I'm having trouble with the dependency on it. And I was like, all right, this is pissing me off. But I already have this gem dishwasher, which will automatically delete your forks. And I was like, maybe I should just modify that a little bit to let me do what I want to do. Or maybe I can find another project or what have you. Because going through on the UI on GitHub and doing this, it's not feasible. I cannot find a single product online to help you manage your GitHub projects like repos. It's like, how has someone not solved this problem by now? I think this is the opportunity for you to create a new GitHub repo to build a tool to solve this problem. Yeah, I know. And I'm really (laughs) trying not to do that. But yeah, so yeah, I don't know. I don't want to waste... That's why I've been thinking about it before actually doing it because I want to not spend any time on this, basically. I want to find like the quickest way to get this done because the point of all of this is this is taking too much time and it's like a blocker in my brain for me getting other things done. We'll put in the show notes. It's called GitHub Unwatch. That was like, it's a Heroku app. Once it spins up, you can just run it and it's done. So I ran that immediately. And then I thought this other project that I found would work very well. It looked like it would work very well to let you just bulk transfer projects. And I just can't get it to resolve this Python dependency and it's really pissing me off. So I'm going to keep looking or just modify a project I already have or just write a script. Yeah, if I I, had to bet, you'll write a script. Yeah, (laughs) I I probably will. I guess what I really need to do is I just need to like get a list of all the repos because the GitHub GraphQL thing is probably the easiest way to do this. Like the GraphQL Explorer, you can super quickly just get all the repos you have. and then I just need to get the list and then a list of all non-forked repos. And then I will cut out of the list of all the ones that I care about. And then I'll just iterate through that list 
with a little script and not only archive the first archive them and then transfer them to this other org. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like fun. Maybe you'll have it done by Monday. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Don't say that. It's yeah. It's a mess. Part of the question will end up being like, yeah, you can solve this temporarily for now, but how do you prevent yourself from working your way right back into the same predicament later on? I think the first thing is like being more intentional about when I put things on GitHub. Because anytime I do anything, I put it on GitHub. Not only because I... For backups? Yeah. (laughs) So you don't lose everything? Backups aren't... Yeah, the backups aren't apparently (laughs) that. Yeah. So I do it also because I believe in like this kind of ideology of working in public. And I like doing that. So I like putting all my stuff on GitHub. But then when now I have too much stuff on GitHub, it's what do you do? And I think I like this idea that I have now of to clean it all up because if, and then in the future, what I think I decided I'm going to do, and I'm not sure exactly how I'm going to accomplish this yet, but if I could create, and I probably am going to use this server thing that I've built and not built on myself, but have almost finished deploying called N8N, which is like a self-hosted Zapier kind of deal. And basically if I create a repo on GitHub, I want to send myself a notification a month later and say, basically just let me know that, hey, a month ago you created this repo. And that way I'll be like, oh, I don't need that anymore. I can quickly archive and then transfer. I'm not sure how I'll do that, but that's like my solution for how I prevent this from happening in the future. I like it. Yeah. We'll have to have you drop in next week or whatever and let us know how it went. Yeah. It's going to be next week. It's going to be like (laughs) nothing happened. I hate everything. I've deleted my GitHub profile and now I use GitLab. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I've been watching Batman, the 60s TV show. And look back at every night and every night it ends like with a series of questions and it's, will this happen? Will this happen? Find out same time, same channel. And that's how I feel like we should end today. (laughs) Will will Andrew (laughs) delete his GitHub? Will Andrew still be a programmer? find out same time (laughs) same podcast (laughs) that sounds like a great way to end it yeah and not only the other question is will his sanity be intact answer probably not (laughs) dope love it I hate everything bye oh bye (laughs) 